0: My name is David Preston. I get to be the pastor of Spiritual Formation and Sports Ministries here at Liberty Bible Church. And I just want to welcome you. If you're here because of the soccer ministry, welcome. We just finished up nine weeks of playing soccer on Saturday mornings and afternoon. It's been a lot of fun. We had almost 600 soccer players this season. And if you are one of the players or coaches, I would like to invite you to stand right now. And we'd love to give you a round of applause. Yeah, It was a great season. So much fun. So many people coming through our doors. Just an amazing time. So welcome this morning. As you know, we are having Costco cake after the service in the gym. So we'll see you out there. Feel free to hang out. Um, And we do have the pizza boxes out there. So we'll see you in the gym after the service. Thanks again, Liberty, for making this uh, an amazing soccer season. We're so glad you're here this morning. On that note, hey, I'd like to invite everyone to stand as we enter into worship this morning.
1: you give life you are love you bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken in great are you Lord Your breath in our lives, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lives, so we pour. And all of-
2: heart. Savior, we owe all to you, we give you our lives, Lord, would you speak to us, come Holy Spirit, we're listening, and it's in your name that we pray, amen, you may be seated.
3: That's right, if you don't know my name, it's on my shirt. I'm Tim, it's good. it's good to have you with us uh, this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to Luke chapter 4, verse 31. I'll read that for us in a second. Uh, but first, I want to pose a question, which is, uh, what is the message of Jesus? That whatever you think of Jesus, whether you think he's the Son of God, or just an interesting historical figure, what was he trying to say to us? with his life, uh, with his teachings. Now, one option I think that's pretty popular is, is best summed up by uh, an old sketch comedy show, Mad TV. They have a sketch on that show once where uh, Bob Newhart was guest starring and he played a psychologist who was seeing someone, that's right, I'm going to go, you got to wait for me though, I'll get there in a second. Uh, uh, Bob Newhart's—he uh, he, someone who has a pathological fear of being buried alive in a box, as was just noticed. Uh, so he starts asking her a few questions. Has anyone ever tried to bury you alive? Do you know anyone who's been buried alive? And she answers no to all those questions. Uh, so then he says he's going to share two words with her that he is confident will completely free her of her pathological fear of being alive. So she asks him, wait, let me let me get out a notepad. I need to write these down. This must be brilliant advice. And he says, "I don't think that's necessary. You're going to remember these two words." Uh, and then he yells these two words at her. Stop it. Stop it. And I think that's a pretty good summary of what many people think Jesus was trying to say to us. That Jesus' central message to humanity is stop it. Whatever it is you're doing, just stop. And then you'll be okay. But is that what Jesus is actually saying to us? Well, if you are here last week, you heard Jesus' first message. And I want to read those verses briefly to us this morning. This is what he said in his opening sermon in his hometown, what his message was. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, To proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim release for the captives. To release those who are oppressed. That Jesus has come to release us. To set us free. But that raises the question, what has us in its grips? What's got us that we must be set free from? And not surprisingly, that's where Luke takes the story next, in the next 14 verses. He describes what has us in its grips, and here are those verses. And I want to ask, if you're able, to please stand as I read God's word for us. Uh, And I'm going to read Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. Hear now the word of God. Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. He was teaching them on And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed, went into a desolate place, and the people sought and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And this is the word of the Lord. Uh, You may be seated. All right, so uh, my question, what has us in its grips. And there's two things. We see Jesus setting people free in two ways in this passage. From supernatural healing and physical illness. Or supernatural evil and and physical illness. Oh boy. Maybe this is your first time in church in a long time, and now we're reading about demons, and you were afraid just sort of this thing might happen this morning. You'd come to church and it would get weird. And I promise you, it, it won't be that weird. Just a little weird. But I do believe it's important to believe in the presence or reality of supernatural evil for, for two, two reasons. A lot of reasons, I'll just name two this morning. First, th- this is the view of the majority of the world. We in the modern West scoff at the idea of devils, of demons, of supernatural evil, but if we were to travel to the majority of the world, to South Africa, to uh, South America, to Asia, to, to Africa, they would believe precisely the opposite of us. They would say to us, unless you believe in supernatural evil, an unseen realm, you have no chance of understanding the world around you. You are not prepared to deal with how deeply broken this world is without the belief in an unseen realm of supernatural evil. So that means unless we are prepared to say that only we, a culture descended from Western white European rationalism, only we are right, we should at least be willing to explore that, that maybe other cultures have a vision of the world we are missing. The second uh, reason why I think it's important to believe in supernatural evil is, is it will make you a more compassionate person. If we were to go to, to Barnes & Noble later today, by far the largest section in that store will be the self-help section. A plethora of advice that is, is much more artful than the mad TV sketch I described to you early, but the, all those books are essentially saying the same thing. Stop it. Whatever it is you don't want to do anymore, just stop. And so you can read about tiny habits that will change you, uh, the power of habit that can change you, the seven habits of highly effective people. And if those three things don't work for you, then pick up the book Atomic Habits and drop an atomic bomb into your life of new ways of living. Our culture's assumption is something is wrong with you, then through efforts, better habits, harder work, you will change. Now, I believe some of that, and I've found goodness from those books I just mentioned to you. Um, It's helpful, but it's not what Jesus is doing here. The beginning of his ministry would suggest we are in far worse shape than any atomic habit can hope to deal with. And when I believe that, that humanity, myself, is not just flawed, but actually in the grips of supernatural evil, then it will be impossible for me to see people whose lives are falling apart, people who frustrate me, people who do things that I do not understand, it will be impossible for me to see them as just weaker than me. That if they just picked up the books that I picked up, if they just read Atomic Habits or read their Bible a little more, got their act together a little more, then they would be better. No, life is is more complicated than that. Evil is far more complicated than that. And when you begin to have that vision of evil, of human failure, that includes an unseen realm of supernatural evil, you will not see people's choices as only weakness and failure, but as far more complex. I love the way Robert Jensen puts this. He's a theologian, and he didn't believe much of what the Bible taught, but he believed in the presence of a devil. And from his Ivy League position, he wrote these words. The existence of a tempter is an ongoing conviction, not just of Christianity, but also Judaism. And this reflects, more than anything else, a common experience. There does seem to be somebody out there laughing at us. I was very skeptical about the existence of Satan until I made that observation. The disasters that happen could just be disasters, but we seem to be mocked by them. And this is the main title of Satan throughout the tradition. He is the mocker, the one out there laughing at us. I resonate with that. Why is it so hard for us to break free of the things we want to be broken free of? The answer of the ministry of Jesus is because someone else has to break you free. Or why is the most common apology we like to give is, I'm sorry, I can't believe I did that. Why do we do things that surprise us? Why does it seem like we get caught in traps where we respond in ways we would never want to otherwise respond? Might Jensen be right, there's someone out there laughing at us. Now what we see in the opening chapter of Jesus' ministry is that, is that what is wrong with human beings is not just that we do the wrong things. We do that, and we will get into that later, but there's something else wrong here. There, there's a power. There's a force upon us. Something has us in its grips. And the first thing we, we see in the ministry of Jesus is what has humanity in its grips is supernatural evil. I mean, we're only in the first chapter of Jesus' ministry in Luke's gospel. And what we've already found is Luke's, uh, Jesus' ministry begins with the devil coming to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, to ruin him. It's where we start. Then we have this story of Jesus in the synagogue, and a man with an unclean demon runs up to him. And then many with demons come up to him, asking him, what are you doing here? What are you going to do to us? That Jesus' ministry is a confrontation with an unseen spiritual realm that's depicted as having humanity in its grips. So that's first. The second thing that, that we that we see that has us in its grips is is physical illness, our frailties in our body. Uh, that Jesus comes into the home of Simon who is called Peter um, and his mother in law is sick, apparently apparently very sick. The very fact that Peter's uh, mother in law uh, lives with him means she's most likely a widow. Her husband has already died, so she's living with most likely her daughter and son in law. And that's interesting because if you're here last week, Jesus talked about God sending Elijah to the widow at Zarephath to bring healing and salvation to her life. Now, in the very next town, Jesus is present to a widow, and he's going to bring healing and salvation into her life. And so he heals her, and that causes a revival. Word gets out, and then all of the sick come to, the, to him, and Jesus heals all of them. Now, my sense is I don't have to spend much time in, in this. We all know our bodies are vulnerable. No one has to tell us that frailty and death has our body in its, in, in its grips, So, we need to be freed, released, Jesus says. And then what do we see next? We see him dealing with the unseen realm of supernatural evil and dealing with the frailty of human bodies in our condition. So then, how can Jesus set us free from those two things? Uh, Well, there are two words that the crowds use to describe their experience of Jesus, and I want to highlight them for us. The first is is the word authority. Authority. Verse 32, we read that the crowds are astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. His word possessed authority. Jesus had authority. Something fundamentally different about his word. He speaks and something completely different is going on when he speaks than when any other rabbi or teacher would say anything. So in one sense, this is a reference to his, his teaching. When Jesus taught, he taught with authority. He was worth listening to. But in this context, his word-possessing authority is also a clear reference to the fact that when he speaks, what he speaks happens. He says something, and then it happens. Which means Jesus has authority over everything that has us in his grips. His authority is over the supernatural realm. And so we see that in verse 35, when Jesus commands a, man to, a demon to come out of a man, and there's a struggle. The demon throws the man to the ground, it's obviously intense, and then we read these words, when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Uh, the demon-possessed man is delivered back to Jesus with no harm. Because the word of Jesus possessed authority. Jesus has authority. Jesus also has power. Uh, Verse 36, as they're meditating on on watching this, we read, uh, What is this word? Again, what is this word? Jesus speaks, and it happens. What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Jesus is full of uh, of power. Now Luke has already given us this clue about Jesus. He's told us why Jesus is full of power. And that's in Luke 4, verse 14. Right in between Jesus' temptation in the wilderness of the devil and then his launch into public ministry, we read these words. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Where does Jesus get his power from The Holy Spirit. So, back to my question how how can Jesus set us free? Because he has all authority and all power. He has complete authority and complete power over both supernatural evil, our physical bodies and frailties, and over death itself. So, that's the claim of of this text. To some extent, that answers the question how can Jesus set us free? Free. The short answer is because he has authority and power over everything that has us in its grips. But I want to try to put that on the ground for us. What does this look like tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m. in the real life? How does Jesus' authority and power over everything that has us in in our grips work out into all of our lives? I want to give three thoughts, then I'll, I'll take my seat. The first is, is, there is far more happening in our world than what our eyes see. Tomorrow at 2 p.m., you will see a lot of things, but you will not see everything. The uh, critically acclaimed movie, The Usual Suspects, is one of the best final lines in movie history. The movie's about a villain, Kaiser Sose. We don't know who he is. We don't know where he is. We don't know what he looks like. So the whole movie is about discovering who is this evil man, Kaiser Sose. And then at the end of the film, you find out. He's been right in front of you the whole time, and you had no idea. And the movie ends with this line, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And as that line is spoken, the arrogant cop who thinks he's going to solve this mystery with ease realizes he's been fooled. He's been had. And that's our culture. Our culture, we believe that through technology, through effort, through the right policy, we will overcome evil and create good. But when we come to this text, we see there's more to our world than what our eyes see. And we know someone else is going to have to save us. We don't just need new habits, new politicians, or new technology. We need a new power to break in and save humanity from what has us in our grips. And that's precisely what Jesus is claiming to be. Belief in a supernatural realm causes us to see our problem is that we can't take Bob Newhart's advice to stop it. We need someone to deliver us. And when we actually face up to our condition, that something has me in its grips... It opens me up to the possibility of faith, of trust, of life with Jesus. So there's far more happening in our world than what our eyes see, and, and we need to deliver from it. And that's what Jesus is offering. Second, if, if Jesus has all authority and power, his community should expect his power among us. What gave Jesus his power? The Holy Spirit. And what did Jesus say he was going to send after he left to his disciples to guide us, to fill us, to live among us? The Holy Spirit. And that means, and Paul speaks to this in Romans, that means the same power that animated the life of Jesus is present in this room right now. Yet, some of the most intensely skeptical people that I have ever met. People skeptical of the unseen realm and the power of God at work among us have been Christians. I met with someone this week who has a powerful story of God at work in his life. But he's nervous to share it with Christians because they probably won't believe him. And I sometimes wonder, do we actually believe Jesus still has all authority... And all power. And that he's given us his spirit to release that power and authority into the world. Do we still believe that? Well, when we believe that, a couple of things begin to happen in our lives. The first is we pray. When my life feels out of control, when things are happening that I do not know what to do, my life response will be like the crowds in the synagogue. I'll go to Jesus because his word has authority. And it's why our vision as a church over the next few years is just getting back to the basic. We're going to be a house of prayer. Because I still believe Jesus has all authority and power. And when we as a church are dependent on him and don't look to earthly means of power in the world, then we will flourish. Because Jesus is not lacking any authority or any power. But it's not just that we'll pray. Second, we will be filled with courage. One of the best books I've, I've ever read is a book called The Patient Ferments of the Early Church. I've used this quote uh, before, and I'm probably going to use it many more times in the future. It's because in that book, Alan Kreider wrestles with the question of of how did the church grow so powerfully despite extreme opposition? But It's it's worse than that, actually. And this is how he describes the condition of the early church. He writes, Most of the believers were not powerful people. Few of them had socio-cultural Power, the Christians also found themselves involved in struggles with a syst- systemic web of forces that they saw as evil social, spiritual, economic, religious, political. At times, these forces persecuted them and attempted to humiliate, intimidate, and crush them. Nevertheless, during the early centuries, the Christians gave the impression of being confidently powerful. I mean, Christians were powerless they were politically powerless they were persecuted intimidated there, there's one line that uh, at any point in time if someone took your name to the authorities as a christian your life could be forfeited it was a terrifying time to be a christian yet the church faced that opposition with incredible confidence i would just ask like is that how the world experiences the church today we're not afraid Because we're confident in the authority and power of Jesus. So we don't need anything but him. I don't know that that's how the world experiences us. So Alan Kreider asks, how did the church do this? Why did they do this? And here was his answer. They saw themselves as fighting primarily against humans, or they saw themselves as fighting not primarily against humans or institutions, but against spiritual forces that were hostile to them and that impeded human flourishing. They saw their enemies as demons, personified spiritual forces that had considerable but limited power. The demons did have power. Their role in engineering the crucifixion of Jesus was evidence of this. But the believers confessed that on the cross, Jesus had exposed the true nature of the demonic powers and vanquished them. And not only that, he had, through the Holy Spirit, unleashed unimaginable spiritual power for good in the world. The Christians claimed they had access to this power. I mean, that's the, that's the good news of the kingdom. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus has unleashed unimaginable spiritual for power, for good in the world, and we have access to that power. And so they were confident in the face of persecution, suffering and death. and inexplicably, inexplicably the church grew with power in this time. So we should expect that same power among us. But sometimes the church can feel like a powerless place. Why? Well, it's because there are other powers we can get enamored with. The power of money. I remember talking to one pastor during the the chaos of the pandemic, clearly spent more time worried about what the largest givers in his church thought than in prayer to Jesus and what Jesus thought. And the power of Jesus was absent from his church. It was obvious. Watch churches, Christians become enamored with the power of politics. If we get the right people in, then we'll be okay. Of cultural respectability, as if we just present the Bible in the right way, people will like us then. And no, we got weird stuff in here. I'm talking about one of them right now, supernatural evil. Almost, it, it seems like there's supernatural evil Trying to get Christians to trust anything but the power of Jesus. But there's one more reason why we in the church can lack the power of of Jesus, and that's where I want to end. And that is the the power of Jesus is ultimately displayed in weakness. One of the reasons why I struggle to believe in in the authority and power of Jesus is, is not everyone gets healed. At times it appears Jesus in our world is is powerless. We've all prayed for things that didn't happen. And so when I get up and say, Jesus has all authority and power over everything that has us in its grip, that that statement is good news, and that's how the passage ends. The people experience the power and healing of Jesus in Capernaum, and they don't want him to leave. So Jesus says, I do have to leave, and, and here's why. And here's what he says. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. So we see that's good news. That Jesus has authority over everything that has us in its grips. But then I, I also wonder, okay, if that's true, why, does, why, don't, why doesn't everyone experience healing? Why couldn't we like this morning stop the service and say, come down and be healed? And I get, personally guarantee your healing because the power of Jesus is, is present among us. Why doesn't that happen? Well, one of the most famous early Christians was a man named Paul. Uh, he wrote maybe half the New Testament, planted many churches. Uh, but there was one church that he, he planted that, that didn't like him. Uh, they didn't like his preaching. They didn't like his appearance. Uh, they didn't like his practices. They, they found him unoppressive, and they told him so. They wanted a powerful preacher, someone with, with gravitas, authority. Uh, and when it was out of that tension that Paul wrote, some of the most beautiful words of all of Scripture. It's in this context he says to them, you know, I have something in my life, a thorn in the flesh. And I have prayed to God multiple times, would you, would you take this from me? And we don't know what it is. Uh, the most popular conjecture is that Paul had very poor, poor eyesight. He's basically blind. And that might be it can imagine he's, he's preaching with poor eyesight and people are like, we've seen way better teachers than this. So Paul says, hey God, take that. Take that from me. And God's answer was, no. And we hear that and we think, wait a minute, what about, what about Jesus here in Luke 4? Jesus has the authority. Why wouldn't he... Healed, and, and thankfully for us, God told Paul why he wasn't going to heal him. And then Paul told us through 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians twelve eight and 9, Paul writes these words. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And sometimes the power and authority comes through Jesus in his healing. And sometimes the power and authority of Jesus comes through weakness and suffering. And holding those two things together to both expect the power of Jesus to heal and to embrace the power of Jesus in weakness is the heart of what it is to be a Christian. Because that's what happened on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was displaying his power but through defeat, humiliation, being shamed, and in weakness. And the reason for that was to defeat supernatural evil, to take our place, to actually be taken into the grips of supernatural evil, to fall under the grip of a failing, dying human body, to show that 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 weakness, that though he had weakness, he also has unimaginable supernatural power for good that can overcome crucifixion, supernatural death, and evil. Jesus does not look at anything, any one of us this morning, and speak to us. My message to you this morning is stop it. No, he looks at us and says, I've defeated everything that has you in his grips. His message is not stop it, but, but trust me. Come to me. So what has you in his grips uh, this morning? Maybe the answer for you is release and healing. Maybe it's It's not that. It's going to stay present, and God's going to introduce weakness into your life. But what has you in his grips that you need release from? Our message to you, Jesus' message to you is he knows the pain, the cost, the suffering, and he knows death itself. So whatever it is that has you in his grips, even if it's death, he knows the way out of that. He knew your weakness so that you could experience his power. He knew what it was to be held in his grips so you could experience his freedom. Let me pray for you. Father, we all need to experience the freedom of Jesus for whatever has us in its grips. And so this morning, we don't, we don't, we're not looking to our own efforts in the next few minutes. We're not cultivating the plan of how to, how to be set free. We're just coming to you as that crowd, as those crowds came to you. Uh, we, we are, we are held in the grips. Uh, but we know you can set us free. So Father, through your son Jesus, set us free, I pray in his name, amen.
2: sorrow there is beauty in our tears and you meet us in our mourning with a love that casts out fear you are working Defying us when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. stand and sing this with me? You are wisdom unimagined. Who could understand your words?
3: Uh, you may be seated. All right, well, before we go into a, a time of communion, we're going to welcome uh, new members into our church family. So I'm going on faith that you're here right now. So if you're uh, some of the new members being reco- uh, recognized this morning, come down up front here with, um, with me. Uh, the, one of the, the next steps you can take uh, in our church family is, is to become a member. It's a name after getting uh, to know us a bit. Uh, That you just don't want to just come on a Sunday morning, but actually uh, call this uh, officially your your church family. Um, That as Paul writes in Ephesians two, we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. Um, And so we are, are members of God's household together. His family, and, and while there's many good churches in, in Porter County that we love and support, uh, membership is where you, you give your name to a particular church, a particular uh, family. So this morning we get to meet uh, some new folks uh, to our, our church family. So here's what uh, quickly, uh, well maybe not quickly, three things. Uh, your name, uh, what first brought you here to, to Liberty, um, why you appreciated this place, and then three, uh, why take the step from attending to, to members. So you guys didn't line up totally in a straight line. I'm going to start with Dwayne, we'll go down. Okay.
4: Hi, yes, hi, good morning, uh, my name is Dwayne Walker, and we went through questions, for what brought me here? Your
3: name?
2: What you my name? name? I what gave the you? name, okay.
4: Yeah, why Frida Riddle, <laughs> is what brought me here, no, uh, I, uh, through Frida I've met some wonderful people, but, um, but we visited, I visited uh, Liberty, and what really got me uh, coming was the simplicity of the word. I really appreciate the simplicity of the word. And then uh, why membership versus just visiting is, um, you know, the pandemic, like I've always said, is an excuse for a lot of people um, not to attend church. We had other reasons because of uh, the church closed. (laughs) It's kind of a clue that we couldn't go there anymore. Um, The pastor got sick, so there's some stuff around that got sick, and they end up closing the church, but um, the pandemic made it convenient for a lot of us not to attend church and um, and and we got into that habit and we were looking at stuff online and we would occasionally visit churches but for the first time I wanted to be planted and Liberty gave me that uh, assurance and and uh, and and the comfort of being planted someplace where where I can grow so well my name is
3: Rob Morris and uh, I am here because I love my wife, and I, I married Sarah And last year, and this has been her church for 19 years. And uh, But I didn't just come because I married her, but also because it just seemed like a good church. I respect the leadership, and I just really believe God has great things in store for liberty, and uh, wanted to be a part of that. And uh, why be a member as opposed to attending? For me, it's partly... Uh, a Message to leadership and to the congregation that I I tend to be an all-or-nothing guy And so when I become a member that means I'm, I'm all in and uh, just looking forward to whatever God has in store for this church And how I might be able to contribute towards that end
5: Good morning My name is Carolyn Steen and Well, I've known about this church for a long time And many, many years ago, a girlfriend of mine told me about this church. And when I moved to Chesterton, I thought, well, this would be a place to attend. And um, I've attended off and on. Um, But every time being here, I feel that I've been taught more about Jesus I think the pastors here are amazing the messages that you teach us is um, it they touch my heart and um, a reason why I wanted to become finally a member is I haven't been a member of a church since I was a kid and I just feel you know I'm it's time to make that commitment, um, mostly because I want to be part of something, and I think this is a wonderful place to be a part of.
6: I'm Russ, and I'm her husband. (laughs) So, um, the one thing that really kind of grabs me here is the energy that is displayed here, Um, and, we just feel that, my wife and I feel that we need to be a part of this family of worship and we're just happy to be here.
5: I'm Kelsey and this is Noel. Um, I am actually gonna let Mike answer for us.
6: Kelsey decided that because I speak in front of a large group about once a year that I'm much more qualified for this. So um, what brought us to Liberty Um, in high school I went to Liberty Uh, I was invited by Darren Klein he uh, poured his life out into me uh, dedicated multiple nights a week to a Bible study I was part of and um, when we moved back uh, we wanted to I guess come regularly and um, we just really fell in love with the commitment to preach the gospel each week Um, a deep commitment to the gospel not only here but also, globally, um, really uh, spoke to us. Um, as far as membership, there was no question once we knew Liberty was home, uh, we'd want to make that commitment. Um, just the importance of wanting to contribute back, the importance of um, giving, even though. Um, you know, there might be sometimes uh, preferences aren't met or things like that. It's important to have that commitment ahead of, ahead of time, so that um, you choose to give your life um, and really just emphasize the gospel. So that even if you're not always, you know, in perfect love, you know, Kelsey and I sometimes argue, surprisingly, but uh, we know that we're not going anywhere. Um, so that commitment's there, and that's important to us. Um, plus, with the the fit with our age, we feel like we can impart a lot of wisdom and life experience to the youth here, so, um, but that is, that's it.
3: You just, yeah, you can put it down. All right, well, thank you guys uh, for, for sharing. I'm going to ask uh, one question to you, and then we'll, we'll recite our covenant together as a whole church, but as uh, your commitments to becoming members, if you commit to this, say "I do." I do. Uh, you gotta wait for the question first. Sorry, I should have been clear. <laughs> You've committed to nothing so far, but now, uh, do you commit to uh, supporting and participating in the mission of our church family with your prayers, time, talents, finances to fulfill your obligation as a member of this church? I do. I do. All right. Now, if you would, uh, if you're able, let's let's stand as we recite our congregational covenant together. Right, so new members, we're committing this uh, to them, and they're committing this uh, to us. This is what we're committed to be together. So you will have to turn around. It'll be on the screen behind us. So let's say this together: uh, Having been led by the Spirit to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And have been led. Amen. Would you welcome our new members into our, our family? Okay, you may, you may be seated. Uh, well, it's an easy transition from there into to communion, where we gather on the table of, of Jesus and, and find release, find freedom. Welcome. Uh, so if, you're, if your faith is in Jesus, if you're a Christian, we, we invite you to the, the table. You actually you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion. If your faith is in Jesus, we welcome you at, at his table. Uh, but come in groups of five to seven. Take the bread, dip it into the juice, eat it together, the instruction of those who are serving you. If you're not yet a Christian, we still believe God is pursuing you. With, with everything, um, I'll be in the hall. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to, to find release and freedom in Jesus through faith. Uh, but for now, just ask God to reveal himself to you, to free you, uh, to, that, that you could find that freedom um, in him. Uh, so with that, if you're uh, serving in communion, you start making your way forward. I'm going to pray for us, uh, pray for our new members, and pray that this time of ministry for Jesus over us. Father, uh, we thank you that you don't, you don't yell at heaven at us to stop, uh, to get it together. Uh, but your son took on flesh uh, to, to, to form a table and to, to say, come, come eat with me, come be at my table. Uh, come home. Uh, and so now our faith is in you because we want to we come home. Uh, we want to experience life with Jesus at his table. Uh, so Jesus, be present among us as we come. Our faith is in you. Our salvation has been won through you. Uh, so God, may you meet us in this place by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: stand and sing with us as we remember who who our God is you call us out from the depths into your freedom our chains are gone no weapon form shall prevail your word is we overcome your glory resounds through the age all saints declaring your great renown your kingdom forever will stand He won't be shaken. through the age all saints declaring your great
3: new. We're really glad you're here. Uh, We'd love to give you a a gift. I'd love to greet you uh, in the hall on your way out. If, too, you just want to slink out, you just check it. That's cool, too. We're just glad um, that you're here. And if this is your church home, reminder uh, to check in. Let us know that you're here via our app, the website, or through your connection um, card. And one big announcement to let you know about, uh, we have our missions auction coming up on April 22nd, and so we need uh, donations uh, for that as we want to be a church for those not yet gathered. We want to uh, be generous towards the mission trips coming uh, this year. So, we are looking for new items, services, or experiences that you can donate to the auction for the church. So, uh, maybe you have access to a vacation home. You have uh, tickets to a concert or a venue. Or, like someone last year, this, is, this was my service to the kingdom. I bought Cubs tickets last year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, maybe you got something like that. My thing was, I took people golfing. Some, for some reason, people wanted to go golfing with me, and that meant money for missions, and I'm happy to do that as well. So, that, this is a totally selfish thing, as you can see. I went to a Cubs game and played golf for missions. That was, so, do things like that, uh, but, but we need donations. Those donations are due April 16th. So, over the next couple of weeks, what, what could you offer that could help um, us raise money for, for missions? Uh, with that, a reminder, uh, hey, we got, we got cake in the gym. Stay, hang out, uh, especially if you're a part of soccer. We're really glad you're here uh, this morning. And as we le- uh, leave, uh, may you go uh, grace and peace to you uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May you live in His grace and peace this week. You're dismissed. <laughs>